What does Star Wars, Harry Potter, Final Fantasy, and Magic the Gathering have in common? If you thought sagas, you were right. Still relatively new, they have had some improvements made to them in Dominaria United. So sit back, relax, and listen to the tale of sagas. Hello and welcome to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm your host, Chris, and I'm joined as always with Joe. Say hi, Joe. Hello, everybody. And at the top of the episode, let's just get this out of the way. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you want to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at mtgunderthehood. So, Dex, what have you been working on, Joe? Nothing new. However, I got to play the, the Soraya Birds deck a couple weeks ago. I noticed some difficulties I was having with it. Tried to retool it a little bit, get some more card draw in there, some more ramp. Just put another land in there as well, just to try to make it so I can make the deck work a little smoother. I haven't gotten to play it yet against another person. I've play tested against other decks, but we'll see how it goes. I'm also still working on the Soul of Windgrace deck. I have several ideas for how I want to run the deck, but I don't know which... The problem I had before was not just enough card draw, but I realized I was trying to go in too many different directions. Am I destroying lands? Am I sacrificing lands? Am I discarding lands? What am I doing? I can get away with like one, one for sure, maybe two, but if I try to go in all three directions, it's just not going to happen. So i got to decide which one I actually want to use and actually hone in on all of that. But that's really been about it for deck building. I haven't gotten to do a whole lot of it with Unfinity spoilers wrapping up and us getting started with that, plus the Warhammer decks, which, I mean, we'll talk about those a little bit. It, it's I, I haven't done a lot of deck building. been mostly just kind of tweaking things that I already have. What about you? So I've had to retool... Four of my tiny leaders. And that's because I was able to finally sit down and like play tiny leaders at the LGS. And I honestly just opened up the box and was like, this is what these basically do. And everyone picked one. And uh, one deck, which is creature focused, only had like six creatures in it. So I had to change that out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was one, there was a Voltron deck that didn't have very many um buff uh like uh power increasing and in, uh equipment i see and that's my arden rugrack deck um so what did it have uh plate armor it had a whole bunch of like like the one big thing in there that was um like a really big buff one was black big Black Blade Reforged. So you were just not boosting power like you wanted yeah. to? You were boosting other stats and other abilities? Yeah. Okay. I was giving right. it Keyword Soup and a really big butt, but it had no punch to it. Yeah. And that honestly, the Keyword Soup only works if you have a Chroma, the Vision of Ixidor in there, which is not Tiny Leader legal. So. And uh, yeah. um, the Braids deck, that one... I retooled it to kind of focus it down into aristocrats. And, uh, cause I, I put in, uh, uh, blood artist, mm -hmm. uh, bastion of remembrance. So just a bunch of gain and drain, right. You know, benefit me sacrificing my stuff and hurting them. Yeah. That kind of thing. Solid um, cards. Um, what else was there? Um, I am finally getting around to building a, uh, Chatterfang Squirrel Tribal. As a tiny leader? Or as, as a, a tiny leader. As a tiny leader, okay. But that one has, that one is probably going to go modal to be both commander and tiny leader. Because he, he's a fun full commander deck mm -hmm. too, yeah. And, uh, so that's kind of been what I've been working on. I've also been toying with the idea of building, God, I forget, forget its name. It's the, like, two-headed dog from Theros. 
Uh, oh, the one that's supposed to be like Cerberus. Yeah, the, the, the magic version of Cerberus. Yeah, yeah, the one that things can't leave the graveyard and things can't. Kernos, Kernos. Yeah, something like that. Something along. Yeah. And so that one is going to be like anti graveyard shenanigans, which to, to will work in a very niche. You know, to, yeah. If you're going up against a graveyard deck, <laughs> and I, I'm building that one as a strict counter to mine. To your to Conrad. Conrad, okay. That Ooh. way. It... Oh yeah. But I don't know. See, because Sir Conrad doesn't necessarily focus on bringing things back out of the graveyard. But he does get payoff for things leaving my graveyard, and I do have graveyard recursion. You do. And but your favorite way to kill people off is to actually have us mill our own uh, library and take damage from our own cards going into our graveyard. Yeah. But so, anyway, <laughs> so I'm building that one as a like counter to graveyards and okay. stuff like that. I mean, it'll be it'll still be good, you know, in a very niche uh, format. But yeah, it'll still be good. Um, I think that's all that I've really been working on. I've kind of been in like a deck building rut, just trying to get everything like retooling every, a little bit of I everything know. here and there. With with Dominary United, it just felt like we got so much, and there's so many avenues and paths you can take. What what do I do? Oh. <laughs> I only have so much money that I can spend on new decks, you know? There is one more tiny leader that I have been working on. Ivy. Oh, yes. Ivy. I, I'm building her as a tiny leader. Okay. And it's going to be uh, Simic Enchantments. Ooh. Like Aura's mm -hmm. kind of an idea? Nice. That'll be good. Yep. Nice. Okay. So we have our words to live by as usual. These ones are very centered on the focus of the show for today. The first term we have is chapter. This is the term for each of the abilities present on a saga card. And we'll talk more about that in the rules. Chapter is basically an easy way for players to communicate how many turns a saga has been or will remain on the battlefield. And you can look at someone and basically say which chapter is your saga on and they'll understand what you're trying to say and you can respond one, two, or three at that point. And people will know pretty easily where they are or where you are in that particular saga. The other one is lore counter. Chris, what are lore counters? So lore counters are the objects that are used to track which chapter your um, your saga is on. Uh, whether it be uh, dice or token, uh, like little things, it just signifies which chapter you are on. Right. Right. Well, don't forget, too, lore counters are the actual... Um, they're, all, they're also the in-game token, essentially that does cause the chapter abilities to trigger. And keep in mind that those are actual counters, so you can interact with them the same way you would a plus one, plus one counter or loyalty counters. So you can proliferate them, you can remove them off of your sagas. There are all sorts of neat little tricks that you can do with sagas. And if you want to really shut down a saga, Vampire Hex Mage. That's right, counters can't be put on anything. No, remove all counters. Oh, remove all counters. Actually, I don't think that would shut down a saga. I think no, that wait, would, that would restart would reset it. it. That yeah, would reset that would it. That would reset it, so. Oh. They would have to go Ooh. back to the chapter one. Ooh. So actually, that might work out really well if you wanted to do that kind of an idea. Ooh. I like that idea. <laughs> I have a new deck idea now. <laughs> so, Chris, you told us that sagas are a relatively new idea to magic. Tell us a little bit about their history. What are they? How long have they been around? So, they premiered in Dominaria back in 2018 as a new take on enchantments. They were designed as a way to tell a story. As you progress each through each of the chapters, uh, sagas have been featured predominantly in sets that emphasize the history of the plane. Um, the sagas of the original Dominaria reminded us of the important historical events on the plane. In Kaldheim, it helped us understand the relations between the various worlds. And in Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, they helped bring the history of the ancient world into the modern one. So the rules. 
The rules for sagas. We had a lot, and we're actually going to talk about two today, and it, it really gets in the point as to why we're, we're jumping backwards to sagas when we, we're normally talking about the mechanics of Dominaria United. There is a new ability for sagas in Dominaria United called Read Ahead, but it emphasizes so much the idea of sagas that we're just going to talk about sagas in general today. So, for sagas, we're looking at 715 from the Comprehensive Rules. 7.5.1 each saga card has a striated text box containing a number of chapter symbols. Its illustration is vertically oriented on the right side of the card, and its type line is along the bottom of the card. This helps to easily and quickly denote which cards are sagas. It also just makes it easier to read all the text. It really does. Otherwise, they'd have to squish it up and it'd be really small and just be a bad choice. So they changed the way that the card actually looks. 715.2 a chapter symbol is a keyword ability that represents a triggered ability referred to as a chapter ability. 715.2a, a chapter symbol includes a Roman numeral, indicated here as RN, with, with basically the one, uh, uh, Roman numeral one represents one, a numeral two represents two, numeral three represents the number three, and so on, right? I, 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 V. Exactly, right. Uh, 715.2b. RN effect means when one or more lore counters are put onto this saga, if the number of lore counters on it was less than N and became at least N, you get the effect for that particular chapter. Essentially, what they're talking about is every time you put a lore counter on your saga, the chapter ability that is the same as the number of lore counters on your saga will trigger. Let's go to 715.2D. A saga's final chapter number is the greatest value among chapter abilities it has. If a saga somehow has no chapter abilities, its final chapter number is zero. 715.2E. A saga's final chapter ability is the chapter ability which has its final chapter number in its chapter symbol. Now, this is important because of how you actually get rid of sagas off the battlefield. Now, 715one or, seven, excuse me, 715.3. Sagas use lore counters to track their progress. As a saga without the read-ahead ability enters the battlefield, its controller puts a lore counter on it. And we'll talk more about read-ahead in a moment here. As a player's pre-combat main phase begins, that player puts a lore counter on each saga they control. This turn-based action doesn't use the stack. And that's important. Uh, you, you do this automatically at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase. It's the first thing you'll do. And no, it doesn't use the stack so that players can't interact with the fact that, yes, that lore counter is going on the saga. It's going to trigger. Then, once the actual ability triggers, then you can interact with the trigger or the saga as you like, but that ability will still trigger. And then finally, 715.4. If the number of lore counters on a saga permanent is greater than or equal to its final chapter number, and it isn't the source of a chapter ability that has triggered but not yet left the stack, that saga's controller sacrifices it. The state-based action doesn't use the stack. And that's essentially how we get rid of sagas and what the point of them is. They are essentially temporary enchantments. They'll give you some benefits, benefits, give you some benefits and some bonuses, and then they're sacrificed and they go away. So I, I all right, so going back to the whole how to deal with them, proliferate. If you proliferate it enough, it gets rid of it faster. That is actually quite true. Yeah, and that's one of the ways that you can deal with. Uh, with sagas, is you can proliferate the counters on them. Now keep in mind, uh, depending on how you do that, it may or may not work in your favor. That's why a lot of people don't try to use proliferation as a counter tactic. But I'll make it work. Yeah, you know, but yeah, you're, you're right. You can proliferate the counters so that they go away faster. Right. 702.155. Read ahead. Read ahead is a keyword found on some saga cards and represents two static abilities. The first ability is, as this saga enters the battlefield, choose a number from one to this saga's final chapter number. This saga enters the battlefield with the chosen number of lore counters on it. The second ability is, this chapter, or excuse me, the second ability is, chapter abilities of this saga can't trigger the turn it entered the battlefield unless it has exactly the number of lore counters on it specified in the chapter symbol of that ability. And then you can see Saga, the rules on Saga cards for more information. Essentially, read ahead enables you to decide on which chapter ability you want to begin. 
It's a new ability that comes with Sagas in Dominaria United, and it allows for a little more strategic choice with how you play each individual Saga. Sometimes you do want Chapter 1, 2, and 3 to trigger individually. Sometimes you don't have the time to wait for Chapters 1 and 2 to go around. You need Chapter 3 right now. And so you're able to go ahead and make that choice. In that case, you will not get Chapters 1 or 2. Those abilities won't trigger. But you will get Chapter 3 immediately from the get-go. And that's one of the nice benefits of Read Ahead. We, of course, as always, have some featured cards with that are Sagas. Um, we did pick one with the Read Ahead ability as well. So, Chris, start us off with the Birth of Melitus. So, the Birth of Melitus is Enchantment Saga, and its first chapter of... Uh, sorry, it costs a generic and a white. Its first chapter ability is search your library for a basic planes card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. Second chapter is create a 0-4 colorless wall artifact creature token with Defender. And the final chapter, chapter 3, you gain 2 life. This one is kind of, kind of like par for the core. Yeah. Like, like kind of like mid, like it's definitely par. Like it gives you an idea of what all will happen. Uh, you get to search for a card, put it to your hand. Awesome. You get to create a blocker. Awesome. You gain two life. Okay. Well, and it, it is basically Melitus being one of the cities important to the, the, uh, the, the plane of Theros, it talks about the establishment of a city. You first get the land, then you build up the walls, and then you're able to live there. So you gain two life. You know, so it gives you that idea as to how you, how you work through that story. Our second one is the Modern Age. This one comes to us from Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. It's an enchantment saga, cost a generic and a blue. Chapter 1 and Chapter 2 abilities are the same. You draw a card, then you discard a card. Now, the nice part, or the unique part about sagas in Kamigawa is that the third chapter ability on many of the sagas are all the same. It's exile the saga, then return it to the battlefield transformed under your control. The backside is Vector Glider, and it's a 2-3 flying enchantment creature spirit. I, don't, I, I know this one in particular saw some decent play for a little while. It was one of the popular commons, especially in Kamigawa Limited. The ability to draw a card, then discard a card. And again, it's that whole idea of working through your your knowledge and building up to the modern age, gaining new knowledge, disposing of old knowledge, or gaining new information, new technology, disposing of old technology. And eventually, you get the Vector Glider, the little spirit enchantment creature token. But that was a nice take on uh, many of the Kamigawa um, sagas had that ability, where they flipped over into a creature at the end. And we'll talk more about those a little bit later. Chris, what's our read-ahead example? So our read-ahead is the phasing of Zalfir. <laughs> it costs two generic blue-blue, and it has read-ahead, which we talked about, so you can choose which chapter it enters on. And the first and second chapter are the same, and it is another target non-land permanent phases out. It can't phase in for as long as you control the phasing of Zalfir. And then the final chapter is destroy all creatures for each creature destroyed this way. Its controller creates a 2-2 black Phyrexian creature token. And when, and after that ability resolves, the uh, anything that was phased out with it will then phase in at the next appropriate time. Right, because then the phasing of Zulfir will get sacrificed. So this is a cool little enchantment that tells a nice, really interesting story about Teferi and how he went and saved his, his homeland of Zalfir, phased the entire city out so that it would be protected, and in this case, it tells the same kind of story. You get to phase out two permanents, and then when everything gets destroyed, those permanents will eventually come back. Outside of that, this is a pretty terrible card, but I mean, it's cool that blue has a board wipe. But this is still a pretty terrible card. <laughs> yeah. But like, but I mean, it, it's one thing if you're going to go ahead and destroy all creatures, but then to give your their controllers two two black Phyrexian creature tokens for each creature controlled. I mean, if you have a token, if you're going up against a token deck, you just don't play this card. You can't. I mean, you're you're going to get massacred regardless. Hold on, I'm trying to think of how to work something. Work something. 
Containment Priest. If a creature would enter the battlefield and no colored and uh, no mana was um, spent to cast it, or just, yeah, if a creature mm -hmm. would enter the battlefield and no mana was spent to cast it, it's exiled. So, okay. Of course, Containment Priest is white, right? Yep. I think you should just play some of the white board wipes instead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Damnation, Armageddon. Sorry, not Damnation. That's black, but That's Wrath of black. God. Yeah. Wrath of God. Austere Command. Yeah, you got some much better options that <laughs> yeah. you can pick from other than the phasing is all fear. All right, let's talk about our last Saga card. Now, this one, Urza's Saga. So this is an enchantment land type, or land type Urza's Saga, which, oh my word, it's just a rules nightmare. But chapter one... Urza Saga gains tap, add, one colorless. Keep in mind, that doesn't go away. That actually sti sticks around the entire time Urza Saga is on the battlefield. So the second and third turn, you can still tap, just add a colorless mana. Chapter 2. Urza Saga gains two colorless, tap, create a zero, 0 colorless construct artifact creature token with this creature gets plus one, plus one for each artifact you control. And again... That ability doesn't go away. So turn three, you can create another colorless artifact construct creature token. Chapter three, search your library for an artifact card with mana cost zero or one, put it onto the battlefield, and then shuffle. And you want to talk about busted. I mean, the number of zero and one drop artifacts that you can go get is immense. This thing single-handedly, single-handedly, took Shadow Spear, which is a, a, a an, an equipment that cost one. And, I mean, it, it's a good, solid card. It was, you know, six or seven bucks originally. But this made it, like, so much... It's not like a $20 card. And I think Urza's Saga is really one of the staples of the Hammer Time uh, modern deck. Because yep. you can go get Shadow Spear, and I think you can go get Colossus Hammer too, right? Because it, it's only a one drop, but it costs eight, I think, to equip. Let me pull that up real quick. Do, 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 do. Colossus Hammer is a one drop. So, essentially... I yeah. need one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's why that's why Urza's Saga has become a really powerful saga. Um, it is a land, of course, too. So if you have anything that allows you to search for a land, it just has so many unique ideas. Uh, but it is a saga, and it works just like any other saga card would. And again, so after does three it, turns, you have to sacrifice it. So it counts as your land drop for the turn. It does count as your land drop for the turn, yes. Even though it's an enchantment land Urza's Saga. Just like the uh, Creature Land Dryad, right? Yes, Dryad? just like Dryad Arbor. Yeah, it does count as your land drop for the turn. Right. So all sorts of fun cards, um, and that's all we're going to say about Urza's Saga. Mm. We're not going to talk about that anymore because it, it can be a rather confusing card in and of itself and all the interactions that it has. But as you can see, there are a lot of different opportunities with Sagas. And the design team at Wizards has come up with some creative ideas for how to make them work and, and create some new and interesting concepts for them. So they've, they've really become quite popular. People really do like them. And I'm glad to see they continue to come back set after set after set. They're, they're a really nice addition to the game. Chris, what are the dominant colors that we see with Sagas? So Sagas are actually like a somewhat level... like. There, it's somewhat equal. There's 12 in white, 10 in blue, 12 black, 9 red, 12 green, 24 multicolor, and 1 land. Or a saga. Yeah. But, and the 3 multicolors and 1 black card appearing in the Warhammer 40k decks, and 1 artifact enchantment saga is appearing in Infinity. Yay, Infinity. <laughs> Artifact Enchantment Saga. I put it in the show notes because I would be remiss if I was not, in this case, thorough, since there are not a lot of enchantments. There's only 60-some. However, 
Really, Unfinity? <laughs> Artifact Enchantment Saga? Really? So, anyway, that's what we have. Um, sagas were actually really popular, because there was a Saga enchant Enchantress deck for a little while in Standard with the most recent Kamigawa set. But that went away pretty quick. We lost some enchantments from, I think, Kaldheim and such. When rotation happened, we lost some enchantments, and so that sort of went by the wayside. Um, and now everything just has to have black cards in it. But that's a different point. So there's no featured deck in standard at this time. But there are sagas in several of the top meta decks at the time of this recording. Notably, and you'll see this again pop up when we talk about some of our broader scope usage of sagas, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, because it enables you to make token copies and you can then sacrifice them. And Kamano faces Kakazan, where you give things haste. Or things with that are dealt damage get exiled or something like that. Anyway, a uh, bunch of stuff with haste. When uh, Kamano uh, flips, right. the enchantment creature that it has is, if a creature dealt damage this turn by a source you control would die, exile it instead. So there you go. Exiles opponent's creatures, and that just makes life, well, more miserable for your opponent. So those are the two that are really popping up. Uh, Fable and the Mirror Breaker in Sacrifice decks. Kamano faces Kakazan in aggro decks. And Fable of the Mirror Breaker, that's just because it's pretty much kiki-jiki. It is. It, it's absolutely supposed to be a fixed kiki-jiki. Um, whether it is or not is up for debate, <laughs> but that's okay. It is still a solid card. It's still kiki-jiki. It. It, it is. It's still really kiki-jiki. So uh, when you're playing with Sagas... You want to know why are you going to use that particular saga. You should know its purpose in the deck. Um, especially sagas without read ahead. You, you have to make sure that it stays on the battlefield the whole time. So which one of those chapter abilities are you really after? The first one, great. You can get that no problem. Two, three, maybe not going to happen. Uh, there's one from Theros uh, that has five chapters. Yeah. That's the uh, Akrum War. Yeah. And the last one is, uh, I think the it's either Akrum War or it's like the games where the if two oh, the first I row in games has four chapters. Uh, I know that. And then there, I think there's one that does have five chapters. Yeah. And so are you really going to be able to stick around for that last chapter? Is that last chapter really worth it? You know. And the games one, the final chapter is you get a gold token, which is a more broken treasure token. Yeah, but again, you just get you get like one mana. Yeah. So, is that really necessarily that beneficial? But they aren't legendary, so you can have multiple. You can have multiple. That's true. That is true. You do need to be prepared for removal if you're playing an enchantress deck. Now, let's be honest, Chris. How often do you see enchantment removal main decked in a in in most of your decks? Yeah, probably 50-50 split. Most of the time it's sideboard to see. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because the first game is usually see what you're up against. If you can pull out the win, awesome. If you can't, then you sideboard in answers to the problematic pieces. Right. So, odds are you're not going up against a enchantment removal. Unless, I do want to point out, in enchantment heavy metagames, like Theros Beyond Death. Theros Beyond Death was focused on enchantments. And Kamigawa, Neon Dynasty, had a strong, it wasn't focused on enchantments, but had a strong enchantment presence. In both of those limited environments, you were wise to main board enchantment removal. Absolutely, you should have. So, you should be prepared for it. In sets like the latest Zendikar, you don't really need to worry about enchantment removal. It's probably not going to happen. No. <laughs> no. Probably not going to happen. How many sagas should you use? Sagas are great, but sagas can't defend you from life loss. I mean, there's one saga from... Uh from Dominaria United that really caught my eye and it's uh 
Founding the Third Path. It's a... Uh, it costs one in a blue. Uh, the first chapter is... Can't remember. Second chapter is target opponent... Uh, target player mills four cards. And then the final, final chapter is... Uh, you may cast target instant or sorcery... Uh, eh, sorry... Uh, so, first chapter is you may cast an instant or sorcery spell with mana value 1 or 2 from your hand without paying its mana cost. Chapter 2, target player mills 4 cards. Final chapter, exile target ins instant or sorcery card from your graveyard, copy it, you may cast the copy. That one caught my eye for one reason. That it only costs 2? <laughs> and it's depending it doesn't matter which one of those chapters you go with you're getting a pretty good value my brewback deck oh yeah my yeah. brewback tiny mm -hmm. leader because i have some really awesome mill cards yeah that cost one or two yeah and then uh, obviously if i brewback out chapter two is now mill eight exactly and then exile target instant or sorcery from my graveyard well, I already know what I'm going to be exiling. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, that one really caught my eye. And with the read ahead, if I have, like, a whole bunch... Like, if I don't have any one or two... One or two drop spells in my mm -hmm. hand, I'll just go straight to two. If or I'm, if you have less than... If, if you know... Because, again, Tasha's Hideous Laughter. That one's tiny leader legal, right? Yep. So, if you know... I think we... we, we you played this against me once because mm -hmm. you know I was in, a, in a, a deck that did not have... Oh, no, we were playing a Legacy game. And you knew I was in a deck that didn't have a lot of high CMC cards. And so you were able to drop Tasha's Hideous Laughter and mill, like, half... Or exile half my deck. If you exile a Tasha's Hideous Laughter and cast it, you're, you're probably taking out a good chunk of a tiny leader deck. Well, here's the thing. I also... Whenever I do make Brewback into a full-fledged commander deck... Mm -hmm. That's definitely going to be in there because that third ability, that last chapter, I can exile Archive Trap. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I can still play, pay its cra trapped cost. I don't remember how you or what condition you have to meet for the trap cost. Uh, if an opponent searches the library. And then, yeah, because... Um, if they search the library during my turn, I, can, I have ways to force them to search. Yeah. And then I can pay zero to make them mill. Yeah, because you have to cast the copy, so you're able to cast it for the alternative cost. Yeah. So, so yeah, that would be fine. That one caught my eye just yeah. because of how versatile and, like, it's modal and it's situational at the same time. Exactly. So that really that really gives you a good idea, too. You know, you, you have to pick your sagas correctly when you're when you're deciding to put them into a deck. And then you do have to think about, too, what happens if your sagas don't reach the, the most beneficial chapters, whether that's two, three, or four? It's probably not wise to make a saga your win condition. <laughs> you know, you, you, sagas are really meant to be supplementary. They're not designed to be the overarching win condition for a deck. Now, that comes with a caveat in that the read-ahead ones, I think, because you can immediately go to that last chapter, those could be a win condition. But keep in mind, you're going to pay for it. You're not going to get the, that at a reduced cost or anything. You're going to actually probably pay a little more than what you would for that normal ability. And even then, I don't think any of the read-ahead cards are overly busted or, or broken in any way that going straight to chapter 3 would really be overly game-winning. might be difficult for your opponent to come back, but I don't think it would be game-winning. Nah. Oh, so I just had a thought on how to make Phasing of Zalfir somewhat better. Okay. Blue-white. Okay. Read ahead to Chapter 3. Okay. Wipe out their board. Yes. Fumigate. Yes. You gain a whole bunch of life, and they lose everything. What if... You just fumigate because they're not getting any more creatures. <laughs> I just... all, right, all, right, all, right, all right, so you don't read ahead. 
You don't read ahead. Uh huh. You phase out a couple of your thing. You phase out two of your things. Okay. See that, and would then be... you fumigate. So chapter three goes off. They lose everything. Then you fumigate. You gain life. Comes back to your turn. Your big guys come back in. See that I could see, but even then, that's a lot to put into, and it's got to be on the board for three turns, you know, and you got to hope it doesn't get removed. So yes, but you're but it would also be in white blue, which is the best colors for control. I agree. I agree because Ooh, you have access. I don't know. I would argue that. Personally, I think Demir, we're getting off topic here. That's not the point. Chris, if you're playing against a Saga deck, what should you do? Uh, depending on the meta, uh, removal. Enchantment removal, enchantment removal, enchantment removal. You could even do exiles. Yeah. Uh, decide when you want to use your removal wisely. Um, for when you're playing against someone using the Read Ahead Sagas... You might not really get a chance to remove it. They might just go all the way to the end and get that last benefit. At that point, they're pretty much remo removing it themselves. Yeah. Um. But for things like, for ones that don't have read ahead, um, in my opinion, sometimes it's better to get rid of it sooner rather than later because mm -hmm. some of the chap the chapters get a little bit more powerful. Uh, case in point. Urza. Yeah. But you know what? There are also some where it's kind of like, well... There are some that maybe you... Maybe I can... I, I see it coming. Maybe I can just plan for dealing with the with the ability going off instead. You know? If I don't have enchantment removal, it's not like it's not broadcast. I can look at the card and see what's happening. Yeah. Well, it's... You know? It is very telegraphed. Yeah. So you know exactly what's coming when. Right. So... You that's whenever you can decide to win on when to use your removal. Um, in my opinion, now this is just me. I like to remove it at my end step before it can yes. go off. So lull them into a false sense of security, banking that they're planning on that saga mm -hmm. going off, and then you go no, and you kind of throw a monkey wrench in. That's how I play. Well, um, no, I think that's a great way to play because you're right. You've made it through your your main phases when they're able to go ahead and do things that could really interfere with your board and how, what you're playing to set up for the next turn. And so, if you wait till your end step, you know, I think that's a wise choice. Yeah, lull them in that sense of security. And most sagas provide only small bonuses. You can honestly let most of them go off and not have much to worry about. Except for Urza Saga. Right. I mean, there, there are some. It's most. Yep. Most are such small, incremental... For example, Founding the Third Path. Outside of your Bruvac deck, if you told me to mill four cards, okay, fine, I can deal with milling four well, cards. It's target, also, you know, it's target player, so I right. can target myself. You could. And this one will also work in a self-mill deck. Yeah. So Thassa's is Oracle. Yeah. But again, I mean, if you looked at me and said you got to mill four cards... Okay, odds are I'm not going to be too terribly disappointed by that. Depending on what instants and sorceries you have in your graveyard, that may be a problem. But at the same time, maybe it isn't. Maybe it won't really be a problem. Phasing of Zolfir. Unless you're able to phase out some really awesome things from your board, you're giving me a bunch of 2-2 Phyrexians when this is all said and done. So, And I'm going to be able to attack with mine. <laughs> So yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. So because that happens on your turn, which means they have continuous control since the beginning of the the opponent has continuous control since the beginning of their upkeep. So theirs won't have summoning sickness. Oh, that 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 I don't like that, and I don't like phasing anymore. Yeah, I, I don't like phasing as fear anymore. Yeah. So like I said, I mean, most of the time you could probably be okay. Now you do need to pay attention because there are some out there that are. The, some chapter abilities are incredibly frustrating, but most of the time, you'll be okay. In different formats, uh, you, you do see, again, Fable and the Mirror Breaker and Kamano faces Kakazan. The, those are the two that show up all over the place. The rest of the, the sagas, here and there, but not too much. When I was looking at uh, re, like retooling my, uh, my Red Deck Wins to make it mm -hmm. less Spellslinger, more aggro, I was looking at a whole bunch of the meta decks and everything. All of them had one thing in common. 
they all had Kazuma faces Kakazaki. Yeah. Kakazan. And uh, <clears throat> it's understandable why that is, because I think the first chapter is like a ping or something. Yeah. Like, it's ways to deal with the board while getting up to your... Getting a, another creature on the board to be more aggressive with. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong, Kumano faces Kakazan was a great saga in Neon Dynasty Limited, too. It was, it was a fantastic card. You wanted to get that one. Um, and it has made a splash in the rest of the meta. Good for it. That, that's great that a saga card has done that. I wish more would be there, but sagas are a support mechanic. So you're only going to see them when a deck really can benefit from it. You know, that's just that's my take on it. So, Chris, is there anything that we've forgotten about sagas? Or are we ready to get on to your favorite part of this episode? Yes, let's go to Unfinity. All right, so before we, before we do um, the Unfinity bit, I do want to plug real quick. We, we talk a lot about Commander mm -hmm. and everything as our, our method of play. Talarian Community College did a fantastic interview with Sheldon Mennery, who is considered to be like the grandfather of the Commander format really help develop it, formalize it, and establish what it's going to be. Highly recommend you check that out on YouTube. If I remember, I'll put a link in the show notes so you can go find it. Uh, but highly recommend because the professor asks some very pointed questions and puts Sheldon on the spot. It, it was a really good interview, and it's about an hour long, but I think it's well worth the time. That's all we're going to talk about that. Chris, take it away. Tell us your thoughts on Unfinity. I absolutely love it. I mean, we've no, we've known Unfinity was coming for over a year. Yeah, it was supposed to be released in April, but due to <clears throat> COVID and you know logistic issues and everything like that, it just kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed. And it's finally coming out. Finally, uh, it'll be coming out. This Friday, uh, the week that we are recording this, October 7th. Yep. And I Same am day this drops. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Unfinity releases. And one of the first cards that we saw, one of the first cards that was spoiled, really set the stage for what we were getting into. And that was Saw in Half. Yep. I saw that and I went, ooh, I want that. I want that so bad. Yep. <laughs> And then, of course, and then now that preview season is already done and over with and we have all of the cards, um, my new favorite, I have a new favorite Planeswalker. It is Comet, the Space Dog, well, sorry, the Stellar Pup. The, I want to get it. I want one copy of it, but I want to have it altered. To be my puppy. Oh, to be your particular dog. Okay. To be my puppy. Gotcha. All of these, like all the cards and everything, look fantastic. And Unfinity is doing something that has never been done in any of the unsets. And that is the fact that it is legal in Eternal Formats. 103 of the cards from the set are legal in eternal formats. So there's about 12 to 20 per color. But yes, cards like Saw in Half, you know, where you're you're creating two copies of something and you're going to get enter the battlefield triggers on both of those and it rounds the power and toughness up. The idea is you create two two token copies of whatever creature is destroyed, but they have Power and toughness equal to half of what the original creature had, which is an interesting concept. It is. But you round up both times. So if you have a really powerful 1-1, one, one, can you imagine two Oracle of Maldias on the field? <laughs> you destroy your own Oracle of Maldaya, create another one. Which I believe Oracle is a 1-1, one, one, right? I think so. It's a 1-1. One, one. Well, you round up. Half of, half, half of one is half. You round up. So now you get two 1-1 one, one Oracle of Maldias on the field. I don't know. I'm, right, I'm not right. a huge fan of Securitus the whole legacy. Act. Yeah. It's a sorcery for two generic and a red. Roll three six-sided die. For each different result, create a 1-1 white clown robot artifact creature token. 
Again, that you change the creature type, that could have been in AFR. Easily. Easily could have been in AFR. So I don't know. Like I'm actually like I'm I'm happy with it. Like I don't understand the sticker mechanic. Well, that's another thing. Yeah, we can get to that. And then attraction still kind of I'm fuzzy on, but you seem to know a little bit more about that. So what are stickers? So stickers are essentially they are actual stickers that are supposed to be placed on cards. From what I understand, the stickers are not supposed to damage the cards. Or the stickers are supposed to be reusable. And yeah, basically. Whenever you place stickers on things or whenever you get abilities, you also get tickets. And different tickets, or a different number of tickets, I think, determine extra abilities that stickered cards get. I don't know all the rules yet. I honestly haven't looked into it. So, it is, it's a little convoluted. The attractions idea is also a little convoluted. Somewhere along the line, you get attractions. With every time you play with a, a, a card that says you get an attraction... Or go visit an attraction or something like that. Open attraction. Open an attraction, that's it. You have to carry with you a 10-card deck of attractions that you have to shuffle at random. And so whenever it says to you, you're go visit an attraction, or yeah, um, you have to flip over the top card of your attraction deck. And then some, at some point in the game, you visit the attraction by rolling a die, and if the number comes up with one of the highlighted numbers on the right side of your attraction, you get a triggered ability. Like it's, it's, it's so complex, no worse than like mutate or bestow, but still, it's so complex that I'm not entirely sure I get it. So Chris, I did want to ask you one important, because we, we've talked a lot about Infinity now. Mm. I am excited for Infinity as a Infinity set. All right. Not so excited about being eternal legal, but that's a different story right now. I did want to ask your thoughts on something. All right. Last week, Wizards gave us some advanced spoilers for the Brothers War. And they previewed just a couple cards so that people get an idea of what's coming down the road. But they happened to do this a week before Unfinity dropped. Now, they've already said that there is concern about un unsets because they are considered joke sets. There's always this controversy around them. They used to be silver-bordered. Now they're going to be black-bordered, so they're being black-bordered so they'll sell more product. But at the same time, they're, they're, they're previewing cards from Brothers War, which will be one of the premier sets for this year. Do you think they're setting Unfinity up for failure so they don't have to do these anymore? I don't think so. I mean, un all of the unsets are yet, yeah, all of the unsets are always joke sets. But there are people that love them. I love them. One thing that I love the most, the lands, the basic lands. They are already selling on on a couple of websites for five to ten dollars a piece. Okay, counter argument then. Why don't they just go ahead and print better or more interesting lands in just the standard sets? They did some amazing looking lands in Theros Beyond Death. They put one in every pack. It was awesome. I collected so many of those lands. I love them. They're fantastic. They're still fetching. I think about a dollar a piece. Right, so they're, they're great. People like them. And then you started to see fewer of those lands. You didn't see as many of them uh, in... What was, the, what was the next set that did them? Um, oh my, I can't remember. Oh, no, they did the full arts for Zendikar. But then you, start, you started to see less and less of the special lands. Right? The shadow lands were there from the Innistrad sets, but you had a really hard time finding these the, the special lands from Kamigawa. You had a really hard time finding the special lands from New Capenna, and we didn't get new special lands in Dominaria United, did we? We got no. stained glass. Stained glass. Yeah, that's right. But you had a hard time finding those. They, there wasn't one in every pack. So what's the point of just... Why, why make the lands special here in order just to sell the product? 
there are so many special lands. Why can't they just take that same money, put them in the regular product? Well, they're also they're also doing Unfinity style of all the shock lands, so that's another reason. Which I think is great. Yeah. I guess I'm just, I'm disappointed that the, it does seem like it's going to be a fun set. And I think the lands look fantastic. I don't think the lands should be the selling point for an unset. But I realize they got to try to make some money somewhere, and they do put gorgeous lands in there. You're talking to the guy that spent like a hundred, that spent like almost two hundred, maybe three hundred. I can't remember. Uh, I spent like I spent two hundred. No, wait, I did spend three hundred dollars on uh, unstable lands. And because those ones are awesome. Those ones are the full art ones. Yeah. Like all that. The only text that's on it is a small little text box up top that says like island. Yeah. Or I don't even. No, wait. There, it doesn't even say island on it. No, I, I think, think it's just implied. Yeah, yeah. It's just like a full art card. I don't think it's really setting it up to fail. The unsets tend to be more like niche and everything mm-hmm. for people. So there's people that are going to get it. And there's people that are, could care less about it. Yeah. Okay. Like I said, it just seemed like Wizards is starting to do this a little more frequently. Right before a big set is supposed to drop, they're already teasing the next set. It's kind of like, guys, would you give us a chance to breathe a little bit and enjoy the sets that you actually put out? Especially an unset like this, something that we don't get on a yearly basis. Let us enjoy the joke cards for a little bit. Let's see, the last unset was unsanctioned, and that was... Actually, I think that was somewhere around... I think that was like 2014. Oh, wow. Uh, 2014, yeah, somewhere around like the teens. Yeah. Was whenever we got our last unset. So it's been, like, they do them like every, you know, like, you know, they definitely don't do one... It's not even like every yeah. two years. It's like five years. Yeah. All right. Well, regardless, I'm not able to go to the release party. Chris, I know you're excited about it. You want to go and enjoy. And so I'm going to try and get to it. Have a great time. I hope it's a blast and hilarious as we expect it to be. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> All right. If you need to get in touch with us. Want to give us some ideas, you have some questions, have some comments, feedback on the show, please let us know, emailing us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at mtgunderthehood. Chris, take us out. Thank you for listening to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. We look forward to delving deeper under the hood with you in our next episode. Stay tuned.